0: I'm a professor at RTS and also the director of the program, but first and foremost, I'm a pastor. I was a pastor in a local church for uh, many years before coming to New York. I came in 2018, and so for me, uh, this is sort of the highlight of my week is speaking to each one of you, and so thanks for coming uh, to let me have that, that highlight um, because I don't get to speak to the church as much as I would like to. Uh, very happy to be doing what I'm doing and preparing others to do that. But I just want to say how grateful I am to spend this time with you. And also want to say uh, how grateful uh, many of us are for your church. Um, I know you think you're just a church, and you are just a church out here. You know, you're gathering together, you're doing your church life, you know each other, and so on. But to the rest of us, looking from afar, we rejoice at what God's doing in your church. Um, throughout Queens, I know people are very excited about... Uh, what God's doing in this church for the clarity of the gospel that's here, uh, for the commitment of the fellowship that's here, um, for the, the leaders that, that come out of here, and just what the, what the Holy Spirit is doing in this church. I rejoice uh, with you and want you to be encouraged to know that um, you're an encouragement to the church in the city, uh, in Queens and Manhattan, throughout the city, and your pastor and the leaders here or likewise great encouragements. But you know, anytime you find a pastor who's an encouragement, I know that there has to be an encouraging church. Because there's no happy pastor with an unhappy church. <laughs> there's no happy pastor with a bunch of mean people. <laughs> right? That doesn't make for a pastor as an encouragement. So I know because of Jonathan, I know a lot about you. He wouldn't be who he is. Um, without your love and care for him. And so he, 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 I know that because um, I had the unfortunate job once in my denomination of being the pastor who takes care with others of the churches having problems. And so I'm thankful for your, your love and care for your, your pastor and other leaders here as well. Well, um, Param and I did absolutely no planning or coordination for this engagement. But I always love it when you feel the Holy Spirit has gone ahead of you, uh, and with this uh, prayer, I really felt, oh, the Holy Spirit—he once again has gone ahead, as He is 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 often prone to do, and um, and put something on the heart of the church and on Param to pray um, that relates almost exactly, really exactly to this particular passage that I've I've chosen from James. Before I read the passage, I'll, I'll tell you why that is. Uh, there is, as Param said, there is a lot of division in our country, uh, as you know. Uh, we all experience that. We're moving into not only an election, but then uh, another political season, as if we ever left the last political season, right? It just seems like it's constant. Um, there is this division, and people not treating each other well, including sometimes in the church, and enter in uh, the, the letter from James to all the churches, And this letter is the most practical letter in all the New Testament. And the vast majority of this letter focuses on how we treat one another. The vast majority of it. um, How we treat one another. uh, So that we in the church can not only love one another well, but that we can also be a light to the world of what it looks like to love one another well. So let's turn to the Word of God James chapter 1, we're going to read verses 9 through 11. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation, and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So, also, the rich man will fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May he add his blessing to it. Our Father and our God, we do pray that you would open our hearts, open our minds to receive this word given by the inspiration of the blessed Holy Spirit. And so, we need uh, his illumination likewise to receive it today, Uh, that Christ would be exalted in our midst, that we would be encouraged, um, that you would be praised. We pray these things in your name. Amen. said, we live in a society that is uh, increasingly contentious and divided. And so James comes to us and gives us very practical instruction on how to care for and love one another in, in the church of Jesus. I want to begin by telling you a story when I was um, a child, I must have been about maybe uh, eight or nine years old, I remember it like it was yesterday, uh, we had a, a one Christmas, and I had been hoping um, for a long time that I would get a bike for Christmas. Um, not a very elaborate bike, but you know, for me as an eight-year-old, it was going to be a really cool bike, and it was a lime green, huffy bike. With yellow pads, you know, back in the day, had these little bike, and they had the pads on. They snapped on and off, you know, it was even before the Velcro. Um, and so, I woke up Christmas morning, and there was that bike there. I look back and think it's kind of a funny looking bike, but um, just lime green with those yellow pads. That was the coolest thing in the world. And so, after we did all this stuff on Christmas Day, I took my bike out, um, and I ran to these kids from the neighborhood who are a little bit older than you, older than me. And um, they started making fun of my bike. And I was just crushed. So I rode my bike home crying. I went in. And I thought my parents you know, would never know what happened. And so, um, because I felt bad, you know, because they bought me the bike and everything. Um, and so they said, what, what, my, my dad immediately said, oh, what did somebody, did somebody make fun of your bike? <laughs> <laughs> And so I remember this like it was yesterday. I'm 49 years old. It's 40 years ago. Right? I remember it like it was yesterday. Now they call it trauma, you know, <laughs> uh, and uh, which I, I don't make light of that, but it, it must be because it's still with me. Um, but, you know, even as an 8- an or 9-year-old kid, there I was. I placed all my confidence in this bike. It was the thing I wanted. For me, it was, it was just the greatest thing in the world, and I really thought it would impress the neighborhood as well. These older guys, I thought it was going to make an impression upon them. And whenever they didn't affirm that, I was just crushed. Now, fast forward to another kind of story. I graduated from college, and everybody gets different jobs um, right out of college. And I was headed on kind of a track toward being a pastor. Um, But one of my friends was was, uh, very successful already in business. And he was one of those people that landed in one of these venture capital firms. And so he was... um, on that pathway, and he was, he was part of the teams that would put together these big deals. And so he worked at this famous firm that was based in Boston, and I asked him what it was like being in the room when all these deals were happening. I never remember this time. He told me about this case where um, he, he flew into New York on a helicopter, landed on top of a building in Manhattan, and there were all these other guys flying in, you know, all with Ovich is their last name, you know, Abramovich and people like this, these oligarchs, and they're all private billionaires. And I said, what's it like being there? The first thing he said, my friends are Christian, he said, man, the incredible thing is, if this guy's worth $2 billion, it gets his goat that the guy next to him is worth $5 billion. Just like kids. It drives them crazy. That, and that, that made such an impression on me. Because I knew right away God never called me to be worth a billion dollars or anything close as a pastor. But it made an impression on me. Um, no, no matter how much we acquire, um, it's always in, in a relative situation. We're always going to be comparing ourselves if, if we're thinking that way. Um, judging others if we're thinking that way. Well, I titled the sermon, um, Bragging Rights, because the sermon is about boasting. Or this text is about boasting. And um, when, I was a, when I used to be a basketball player, um, I'm thinking of playing some more basketball if I lose a little bit of weight, but you get at my age, that's when you start rupturing your Achilles, so I'm scared of that. So I don't know if I'm going to do it or not, but I used to be a pretty good basketball player, ended up playing football in college, because my coach told me you could play NAIA basketball or Division One football, and so I'd go, we'll go this way. But I love playing basketball, and you know, back when I was a kid, it was mostly innocent, you know, we used about talking trash playing basketball. And, um, you know, there's that kind of bragging. We're just talking trash and you playing basketball. Um, and it doesn't really mean a whole lot necessarily. But there's another kind of bragging, like me with my bike when I was a little kid, where if I cry because I'm criticized over my bike. There's another kind of bragging where you actually believe what you're saying. You actually place your confidence in what you're talking about because it's what makes you special. The job that you have, the house that you were finally able to buy, the person you were finally able to marry, the child you were finally able to have, the clothes you were finally able to get that you thought, whatever it is, to boast in something is a little bit more than bragging. It's bragging with confidence, it's bragging with hope, it's bragging because it's the thing that you think sets you apart. And uh, James opens this letter and he talks about. Um, boasting, and this, there's a certain type of boasting that's actually appropriate in the Christian life. And this is really surprising, because this, this word to boast is all the, all the way through the New Testament in different sorts of ways. The Apostle Paul uses it a lot. Here, James is using it. Um, and what I think is so great is because so much of what um, the culture tells us with regard to how we get along, it tells us to be less of ourselves, talk less of who you are, don't be honest, uh, you know, pull back from who you are because you don't want to step on somebody else's toes. It's kind of a, uh, and, and sometimes that's appropriate, right? We don't want to be uh, just thoughtless about what we say. But what I love about this particular passage is something positive, and not only that, it's something we've all got a little bit of experience in doing: is boasting. Um, and, and and James is saying. He divides the church in these two big groups right here, um, and he says, whoever you are, I want you to boast, but there's a special way that I want you to boast. Now, of all the divisions that we can think of in our country, certainly one of the big divisions is between those who think that they have and those who think they have not. I'll say say because those who think they have and those who think they have not, because if you think you have not, there's somebody who thinks you have because they got less than you have, Right? And same thing, if you think you have, there's somebody looking down on you that thinks you have not because they have more than you have. Now, um, it's always going to be relative, but we can draw these kind of distinctions. And James knows that in the church, uh, there are going to be people who are considered lowly in the eyes of the world, and there are going to be people who are considered rich in the eyes of the world. And within the church... They're they're supposed to relate to one another differently than in the world. And this is perhaps the most consequential letter for our time in the church in this particular moment. Because the church itself has been divided along all sorts of lines. And this teaching about how we uh, think about ourselves and what we boast in, first and foremost applies to money. But the same principles here you could extrapolate out to many other areas as well. So as we think about this, let's think about, first of all, what it is uh, to to boast, um, and then what type of church culture promotes this sort of healthy boasting. So we think about why James says here that the lowly brother ought to boast in his exaltation. What is it, first of all, about being lowly what is it about being lowly now think about this as i thought about this it seems to me that there's maybe several aspects to being lowly and maybe you feel like this Uh, maybe you don't maybe you do or maybe sometimes you have you identify with this i think one thing about being lowly is you don't feel that you have as much freedom as you would like to have meaning we think you know what, what does money do for us it gives a certain amount of freedom right I don't have freedom to buy new coats coming cold right now. Or worse yet, I don't have freedom to get my kids a coat that I would like for them to have, right? I don't have the freedom to travel to see my parents. I don't have the freedom to buy the food I would like to. I don't feel that I have freedom. I think part of being lowly is feeling I don't have any mobility. I don't have the options. Another aspect of being lowly is you might not have the social standing and respect that other people have. You might not feel that you have that, and that too can be associated with being lowly. Another aspect of being lowly can be that sometimes we don't have the sense of security that we would like to have. I'm 49 years old, I'm I'm still renting a house, and I follow God's call to New York City, I sold my house, I put the little bit of money, I went through the first crash of the whatever that was in 2000, you know, early 2000s, and Got upside down on the house and finally got the house just barely right side up <laughs> financially, you know. Sold the thing off. Now I come to New York. Now the house with the inflation and everything has gone up like $150,000. I'm like, why didn't I at least rent the house, you know? So I look forward. I'm like, well, it's not the kind of security that I would prefer to have in my future, you know, renting a house. Um, it feels lowly. Now, in the eyes of some in my neighborhood... I'm sure I look rich, and I I am by comparison. But you see what I'm saying? The future can be insecure. So lack of freedom, a lack of social standing, a lack of security, lowly. And these are all conversely benefits that the culture will say money can give to us. If you have money, you can do what you want. If you have money... You're going to be affirmed as somebody. If you have money, you will have security." So the lowly versus the rich. that's a contrast that James set forth, sets forth here. And yet surprisingly, surprisingly, James says, "Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. How can he say this? What is there worth boasting about if you don't have social standing, if you don't have money, if you don't have freedom to do what you want? What is there worth boasting about? James says, you have something that there is worth boasting about. And I'm going to talk about what that is. On the other hand, if you are rich, he says, it's like you say, check yourself. Boast in your humiliation because the standing you think you have, the money that you think you have, the freedom that you think you have, the security that you think you have, it is actually fragile. It's actually something that can bring you down if you're not very careful. And he goes on, he says, <clears throat> You're like a flower of the grass that's gonna pass away. And he goes to this cycle of nature. The sun comes up. Scorches, withers the grass, flower falls, beauty perishes. That's what's going to happen to you insofar as you see yourself as a rich person. The rich are coming and going. Don't trust in that. You boast in your humiliation. Well, how can he say this? How can he say this? Well, first of all, let's think about the exaltation that the, lonely, the lowly brother is to boast in. Note that he's called a lowly brother, very important word. Let me be clear about something. There's nothing inherently great about being lowly. The Bible doesn't glorify poverty. Poverty often comes because of sin. If there were no original sin, there would be no present poverty, right? Poverty is complex, but the Bible never says to glory in poverty in that sense. is affirming poverty. I want to be really clear about that. It's also not necessarily clear that he's talking about somebody who is impoverished. But the thing to see here is a brother. and this language of brother, brother of who? Brother of the Lord Jesus Christ himself by faith. Later on in this passage, James will say that God has chosen those who were lowly to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. So the one who can can boast... um, who is lowly, who can boast in their exaltation, is not just any person who's lowly, but the person in the midst of that situation knows Jesus Christ as a brother. The exaltation that is there in being lowly is the exaltation in Christ himself that belongs to you by faith. It's the exaltation that belongs to you by faith. And Jesus knows When he calls us to be his disciples, he knows that it's not going to be easy, and he knows many times the call to discipleship will call us into seasons when we'll feel lowly, or when we may actually be lowly for a long time. And certainly the gospel goes out to those who are lowly in the eyes of the world, and they're often more likely to receive it because they're aware of their insecurity. so so prevalently in their own lives. But the lowly can boast in their exaltation because they can boast in Jesus. And we're going to find out it's going to be the same with the rich. And basically the storyline of the Bible is boast in the Lord or nothing else. If you boast in anything else besides the Lord Jesus Christ, your boasting is in vain and you are a fool. You are a fool. Now Jesus knows the cost of following jesus and jesus knows that following jesus creates this context for this kind of insecurity and fear and these feelings of lowliness that can overwhelm us and jesus and through his spirit through his apostles he speaks directly to these things so let's think for a moment about in the exaltation of jesus what we have in union with him as heirs of his kingdom Why is it that it's not foolishness to boast in our exaltation if we are lowly? First off, Jesus knows that your faith often means that you have lost some family or have been led to live far from them. In my case, following the call of God means I'm very far from my parents. I love my parents. I was blessed with a good relationship with my parents. They're over 1,000 miles away from me. And I miss them now. You know, and they're older now. And so, um, you know, it's a low key cost compared to what other people bear. Um, some of you following Christ may have meant that you lost your parents or you lost your friends or you lost your community. There are brothers and sisters in New York City. If they come to Christ, they'll be kicked out of their family and never welcome back in. Right? Jesus knows. If you have faith, it means you may have given up family, lands, houses, and property and security. And he says in Mark chapter 10, when Peter says, Lord, we have followed you, what do we get? And he says, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and the gospel Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time? Houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, and children, and lands. I love this. With persecutions. It's going to be hard, too, but you're going to get all of this. And in the age to come eternal life. Now, this can only be possible with the church. We're going to talk about that later. But see, what Jesus is saying is, You're going to lose something when you follow me, but you're going to gain even more. And this is a great vision for the church. How is this happening in this life? It's through fellowship with the church. That's how that's happening. Brothers and sisters and care and uh, a place to belong comes to us in this life. You see, Jesus knows your faith, knows that you lose family and houses and property, and he says you're going to get it back, and then you're going to become an heir with me in eternity. Jesus knows that you cannot accumulate sometimes a generational wealth you would like to accumulate. But he tells us through his servant the apostle Paul that if we're God's children, we're heirs, heirs of God, fellow heirs of Christ provided we suffer with him, there it is again, in order that we may be glorified with him. You can boast in your exaltation, if you're lowly, because you're an heir of the King. You're an heir of the King. The, the assembly of God. So I'm Presbyterian. What we've done, and this is a problem, but we get along with it. We divided the Church of Jesus up into all different parts of the body, and so we don't. We, we're actually like one head, and one's got a heart over here, and one's got a hand over here, you know. Um, and so we, but the assembly of God, they have this um, children's ministry. And, you know, they, they emphasize, I don't agree with everything the Assembly of God Church says about what the Bible says, but uh, the, on the big things, I'm, I'm right with my brothers and sisters there. But I love this. They call their children's ministry the Royal Rangers. Now, I don't know, that may be kind of corny now, but maybe they changed that, you know? But they call them the Royal Rangers because what they want to convey is you're children of the king. You're children of the king. You know, Presbyterians and Bats be like, oh, you're talking about prosperity gospel? You scare me there. I can botch out now. T.D. Jakes coming on here? Going on? Children of the King. No, but it's true. You're children of the King. Now, Jesus says the, what the prosperity gospel teachers want to leave out is with persecutions. Twice, we heard it already. With persecutions. With suffering. Jesus didn't come to make you rich in this life. as a guarantee. But he does promise you're going to be rich in the life to come. You can boast when you're lowly in your exaltation because... You are a fellow heir with Christ. This is incredible. We think of Jesus being our Lord. The Bible says he is your Lord, but he's also your brother. He is your Lord, but you are also beside him as an heir. Amazing. You might not have the wealth that you wish you had in this life, but stick close to Jesus. Suffer with him now, and you will be glorified with him as a child of the king Jesus knows also that your social status can be suffering he knows that your body can be failing you and these two can be ways that we feel lowly but he tells us in his word that our citizenship is in heaven that's our ultimate social status a fellow heir a citizen of heaven this is what we take confidence and affirmation from this is something that the church affirms. This is how come it's good to be a straight-up member of the church and not just somebody hanging around the edges. Now, you want to be on the list of those people. You want your citizenship to be written down in a concrete place that you can bank on it. I belong with them, my fellow citizens in heaven. That's where my standing comes from. And one of the problems with Favoring the rich over the lowly is you're busting up the citizenship. You're busting up the role of the church, which is to testify to the status and standing that these are the children of the king, every single one of them. And that same passage, Philippians three twenty and 21, our citizenship is in heaven, and from heaven we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now get this, who will transform our lowly body lowly body to be like his glorious body. You get a new body. So many of us find ourselves feeling lowly because our bodies are failing. We we can't give them the care that we think that they need, the medical care, nutrition, whatever it may be. And Jesus knows. He knows that. Jesus knows all these troubles that we're facing, And he wants us to know it's worth it. He wants us to know that because he's been exalted, we too can boast in our exaltation. So what does he say about the rich by contrast? Well, first thing is, when he's speaking about the rich, the assumption is here that there's also rich people in the church. I would say now, I'm blessed to know some rich people uh, through my association with the seminary uh, who, who support our work. And as I've gotten to know and, and knew, had some rich people in my churches, and I talked about my friend who, is, who, in that line of work, he became rich. Some of the most godly people that I know are rich. Um, not all. I know some ungodly rich people as well. But the people that I know who are godly, who are rich, they do indeed boast in their humiliation. They boast in their humiliation in the sense that they realize they have been entrusted with this wealth and that it is also a great temptation, that it could consume them, that it could take them over, that it become a snare to them. And and they, they, they realize the fragility of it And they steward it to the glory of God. I think about some people in the church where I used to pastor. One of the ways the church cares for itself, cares for the needs of the church, without creating all kind of awkwardness or division in the church, is someone who's in a particular difficulty can come to the leadership of the church and express their need. And another one in the church who may have the means to support that person can do so through the church give to the church and the, the deacons of the church can care for the needs of the church and what that does it preserves the dignity of the one who's receiving and it takes away the awkwardness from the one who's giving and christ gets the glory because it's all his anyway and it comes through the church see in this way the church itself becomes a new kind of society where we come together Not focused on our social status in the eyes of the world, but focused on Christ. And we indeed do give as we are able and receive as we have need in the church. I think there's an extended warning here in James toward the rich. Not only in these verses, but in the verses in chapter 2, as you read along, there's even more warning there and throughout. There's a lot of warning about being rich. Jesus said it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Those warnings are not only for the rich, but they're also for the lowly. Because when we're feeling lowly, we think if we were rich in the world, the things the world have, it would take take all the problems away. And so those extensive warnings to the rich also serve the same needs for the lowly. The present state of the rich... Is that they're entrusted with great blessings which can become great temptations. And that's a reminder for us all. So here James says, boast in your exaltation if you're feeling lowly. Beware and boast of your humiliation if you are rich. And this is New York City, so no way you can tell by looking at this crowd who's rich and who's not. Because you never see a place where rich people dress down like New York City. <laughs> All right? So, um, and I think, I think the, the, the greater reality is here is this is so relative, isn't it? How we're feeling about ourselves and how we feel about one another. Well, what kind of a church culture, to pivot over to that, supports this type of um, mindset and care for one another? It's going to be a church where Christ is at the center of the church. It's going to be a church that is not anti-poor or anti-rich, but is pro-Jesus. It's going to be a church that recognizes the, the dignity of those who are lowly but have faith in Jesus because they are not to be pitied, though they may be treated with compassion. But pity and compassion are two different things. Great dignity because God has chosen those who are lowly in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and heirs the kingdom of God. And that means that God is at work in everybody in a powerful way. It's going to be a church culture where these kinds of things are spoken about. The interesting thing about boasting is you end up talking about the things that you boast in. The things that you boast in end up coming out of your mouth. Well, Jesus says, "From out of the heart, the mouth speaks." So, the type of church culture that you see the right kind of boasting happening like this is one that cultivates the heart, and then create cultivates the heart for Christ, and then creates space for meaningful conversation and reflection. Not about how much money you have in the bank or don't have in the bank. That would be to miss the point entirely but about what Jesus Christ is doing in and through you in the midst of whatever your circumstances are. That the conversation within the church is a conversation about Christ himself. This kind of church culture is what facilitates this type of healthy boasting. And it's what our world needs to see in the church. But more than that, it's what we need to be in the church. I was thinking about how to close such a message as this. And for whatever reason, believe God brought it to mind. The greatest compliment I ever received uh, on a sermon to date in my whole life uh, came about 20 years ago. I was preaching a candidate sermon uh, for this church in Delaware. And for some reason... Um, I guess they didn't want to risk it, me having come to the church. So I preached at another church in Philadelphia. And the group came, <laughs> the group came from the church to go, hear me preach at the church in Philadelphia. And there was a, I preached on Revelation 7. Um, that Jesus would eventually wipe every tear away from our eyes and so forth, and you know, we'd be healed and restored and all that wonderful truths that await us. And there was a woman in the back uh, in a wheelchair, with an eagle's a jacket on. And um, after the sermon, everybody came up and you know, said the kind of nice things that you don't believe people say after sermons. Um, and on the way out, she said, that was such a great sermon. I said, you reminded me, I'm not always gonna be in this chair. I'm not always gonna be in this chair. And I said to her, You have one of the biggest ministries in this whole church. God has given you the faith in him to look toward that day. And your witness is powerful. Because on the one hand, in the lowly condition that you find yourself, you feel it and you live that, and you testify to our mortality. I straight up told her this, by the way, and the reason I felt confident a little more free in speaking with her was because in my own family situation, where I had a son who was born with a chronic illness, almost died and so on, so she could tell I wasn't faking the funk or anything. It was like coming from a good place. Um, <laughs> and and I, I, said, I said, "Don't ever forsake your witness to this church. Your faith is a ministry. Suffering in faith is its own ministry. I don't know what God is doing in your life, but you too have a ministry. Open your heart to Christ in the midst of whatever your circumstances are, if you find yourself lowly, but you can't boast, what do you do? Go to Jesus and bring some of the church with you to Jesus and say, Jesus, let me see how you are at work when I'm feeling lowly. And if you find yourself rich and blessed, you too go to Jesus. You've been entrusted with a very fragile state of affairs, Steward it wisely for his glory as we patiently await his return. Our Father and God, I thank you for this church. I thank you for the opportunity to share in this fellowship tonight. I pray that you would meet with each one of us, whether we're feeling rich, whether we're feeling low. I pray that you would meet with us all, nurture our faith, and let us boast in what we have in you and in you alone. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. You can email us at info at newhopeny.org. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for those outlets is New Hope NYC. Our website is www.newhopeny.org. If you are in the New York City area, we have 4 p.m. worship gatherings on Sundays at 164 2 Goffels Avenue in Jamaica, Queens. We're praying for you, and we hope to see you soon.